good to be here. Let me just say thank you for that, Lord. And you teach, we listen through your spirit and help us to really grow, not just hear this, not just mark this, but to really grow, Lord, in your name. Amen. Now, if you're with us a few weeks ago, we did a lesson in Mark. We're talking about showing the power that Christ has over things. Jump back real quick, if you will, to Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. Jesus has power over nature, creation. He's God. Then, in chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, he has power over the spiritual realm, demonic forces, because he's God. And then, in 21 through 43 of Mark chapter 5, he has power over life and death and health, because he's God. So he did a lesson that he shows power over nature, creation, power over the spiritual realm, power over life and health. Now, for the last couple chapters, jump back, if you will now, to Mark chapter 6. The key word here is compassion. We show that he has power over everything. Now he has compassion. Verse 34 of Mark chapter 6. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them. And we talked about what that word compassion means. Compassion is just not, I feel guilty that I have something and you don't, so I want to do something. Compassion is not, I'm just going to give you some money to make myself feel better. Compassion is from the inward part of who you are. Your heart breaks for these people, and you stop and you say, I want to do something to help them. I want to come along beside them, and not only help them, but to give them the spiritual things that they need as well. So Jesus had compassion over the physical needs, feeding the 5,000. Same chapter. He then had compassion and fear. Take a look at verse 50. They all saw him and were troubled. Immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I do not be afraid. In my times of fear, in my times where my faith is doubting, Christ has compassion on me and he wants to be with me. One of my favorite prayers in the Bible is the simple prayer of, Lord, help my unbelief. Lord, I don't have faith. Help my unbelief. God honors that prayer. And then here tonight, he has compassion over sickness. Take a look at verse 53. When they crossed over, they came to the land of Genesaret and anchored there. And when they'd come out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him, ran through the whole surrounding region, began to carry about on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he entered into villages, cities, or in the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well compassion. He has compassion over our physical needs. He has compassion in our times of fear and lack of faith. And he has compassion in our sicknesses. That's the God that we serve. What a beautiful God that is. Now, here's the problem. Jesus's ministry, who wouldn't want to be with this ministry? I mean, once again, power over nature, power over demons, power over life and death and health. Compassion to feed the 5,000. Compassion in times of fear and lack of faith. Compassion in times of sickness. Who would not want to follow this teacher? Not want to follow his teachings? Which now takes us into Mark chapter 7, because take a look at verse 1. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now, if you have a map on the back of your Bible, you see where he's at here. He's toward the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, and they're coming from Jerusalem. This is an 80-plus mile trip. This is not just jump in the car and drive an hour and a half. We're talking a couple days here of travel. And these are people coming from Jerusalem. Guys, this, these are the bigwigs. They're coming all the way up here to see what Jesus was doing. And I don't think they're coming up to pat him on the back. 
They're coming up here because they have trouble with what he's doing. And what do they see him doing? Verse 2. Now, when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. Now, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Now, they tried tripping Jesus up on doctrine back in Mark chapter 2, if you remember correctly, about the healing on the Sabbath. Now they're not going to get him on doctrine. Now they're going to get him on legalism and tradition. They can't get him on power. He's showing his power over creation, nature, demons, spiritual realm, life and health. Yet you can't deny the fact that he's healing sick people and raising dead people and calming storms. So we can't get him on power. We can't get him on compassion. The guy just fed ten to 15,000 people. We can't get him on his compassion for the lepers and the sick because we just read in 53 through 56. And we can't get him on doctrine because when we brought up the Sabbath to him, he outwitted us. The only thing we got left now is this idea of the traditions of men, legalism. What is the definition of legalism? It's a hard word to define. It's when you have rules and regulations that you do to achieve salvation or spiritual growth. That you, you think that if you just do these things, you're going to achieve salvation, which is a works-based thing, which completely goes against the Bible. Or you think that you're going to be this deeper, more spiritual person because I did all these things. The Jews have a whole lot of rules. A whole lot of rules. It's something that we can't quite grasp. Now, some of you may have came out of maybe a certain denomination or religion where you had rules. And when you got born again and saved and kind of the light came on, you stopped and you realized, why did we do all these things? That pales in comparison to, if you rewind the clock to 2,000 years ago, to the rules and regulations that these Jews were dealing with here a little bit. And I just want to share some of the research I did on this because it's, it's almost funny, but it's not when you realize that this is what they thought they had to do. Here's just some of the rules. For example... You couldn't look in a mirror on the Sabbath. You know why you couldn't look in a mirror on the Sabbath? This would affect some of you more than it would affect others, and you'll find out why. Because if you saw gray hair, you might be tempted to pull it out, and that would be considered work. You couldn't wear false teeth on the Sabbath. That may affect some of you more than others. Because if they fell out, you'd have to pick them up, and that'd be lifting a burden. You could spit on the ground, but not on the dirt, because that would be irrigating the soil. These are the rules that they had to live by. The longest section of rules was dedicated to cleanliness and uncleanliness. Now, please note, these are rules that they added. These are not in the Bible. This is why Jesus got so upset at them and and his big talk to them. In Matthew 23, he comes out and he just lays into them saying, you guys add all these rules and regulations, this legalism that is not in the Bible. The longest section in the entire book was cleanliness and uncleanliness. It was 186 pages to tell you how to be clean. Get these 186 pages grew out of less than 20 verses in the Old Testament. Think about that for a second. 20 verses on cleanliness rules became 186 pages of rules and regulations. Some of it dealt with the priesthood. Some of it dealt with Aaron and his sons about what they were supposed to do to sacrifice as priests. 
But here's the problem. They took it and they expounded on it. It was assumed that everyone had to clean everything in a certain way if they're going to be pleasing to God's eyes. It contained 35 pages on how to wash a pot alone. Can you imagine that? This is what we're dealing with. So when, when they come to him and they say in Mark 7, 2 through 4, you're not washing things right, it's because there's 35 pages on how you're supposed to do it specifically. I, I just think that through for a second. And they were trying to do this, and what happens is this. They're not following the rules. Now let's just talk about legalism for a second here, guys. Legalism is very, very deceptive. Because legalism comes across as being very religious. If you go read like the book of Colossians, Paul talks about these legalistic Jews. And he says the problem with the legalistic Jews is if you just look at them from an outside appearance, they look really good. Because they look very holy, they look very pious, they look very loving of God. But the problem is the religion and the relationship is not based on grace and what Jesus Christ did on the cross. It's about them following rules and regulations to achieve salvation or spiritual growth. And Paul says that's not the way it works. And this is what Jesus says right here, it's not the way that works. If you've ever been around somebody who's legalistic, you know how difficult it is. This is what I've noticed being around people that are legalistic. Number one, they don't have joy. They really suck the joy out of a room, out of a Bible study, out of a church. Because what happens is this. When you're legalistic, you're so focused on following all the rules that you can't have any fun. And number two, if you're following all the rules, then you have to take all your extra time and energy to make sure everybody else is following all of your rules as well. And guess what happens with legalistic people? You start to walk on eggshells around them because you don't want to offend them or bother them. And you really don't want to get into deep spiritual conversations with them because what happens is this. You can never please them because you can never follow the rules enough. They have no joy because they can't follow the rules. They have no joy because they can't get anybody else to follow the rules. And then you have no joy being around them. And guess what happens? What's one of the fruits of the Spirit? Joy. There's a beautiful thing of grace, of just joy. See, Colossians says this in Colossians chapter 2. Let no one cheat you of your reward. Taking delight in false humility. Legalism is false humility. I, I just love the Lord and try to do what He says. And it comes across this humble false humility when really I think I'm more righteous than you. I think I'm more better than you. I think I'm more holy than you because look at everything I do and look at all the rules I follow. Look at everything and it's just how much they pray and how much they fast and how much they read and what they watch and what they don't watch and how dare you watch that? How dare you read this? How dare you do that? That false humility is a danger. Paul says again in Colossians chapter 2, it sums up like this. They say, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. The whole world is full for them of just do-nots. Now, listen, guys. I'm not saying that you ignore certain scriptures and passages the Bible is saying, but just be careful when you start adding to it like the Jews, saying a real Christian wouldn't do this. A real Christian wouldn't do that. I was talking to somebody one time, and they started talking about a real Christian. In my mind, I'm thinking, they're right. A real Christian wouldn't do what they're saying. And they were talking about how they find it really difficult to, to either listen to songs or follow the teachings of, of people that have struggled with that. And I thought, you know what? That's right. 
They're not wrong. Then I started thinking, I should probably take my Bible and start crossing out every psalm that David wrote. Because a real Christian wouldn't commit adultery. A real Christian wouldn't have a murder to cover it up. A real Christian wouldn't become so prideful that he would have a census like that. A real Christian wouldn't do that. And I thought we should probably take out the books of 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Because if you remember the story in the book of Galatians, Peter went through this phase where he was a bit of a hypocrite. When the Gentiles were around, he would eat with the Gentiles. And then when the Jews were around, he would only eat with the Jews. And he was a hypocrite. And Paul had to correct him. So a real Christian wouldn't be that way. So we should probably take out now 1 Peter and 2 Peter. So we've lost a good chunk of the Psalms in 1 Peter and 2 Peter. You have to take out all the writings of Paul. Because Paul, by his own admission, says he's the chief of all sinners. I don't know what we're down to, guys. I am not pushing for hypocrisy. I'm not pushing that you just totally walk in free grace. And don't misunderstand what I mean by free grace. Grace is free salvation by Christ. I'm saying that I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. Paul says, God forbid you sin that grace may abound. But you've got to be careful with adding to the Bible the stipulations of a real Christian would do this or that. It's going to become a legalism. It's going to suck the joy out of your life, everybody else's, and whatever group you're involved with. And you see the extremes that happened here with the Pharisees. All the rules and regulations. 35 pages on how to wash a pot. Just remember that in the back of your mind of all these things that are going on. Going on. So what happens is this. Five. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? Right there it is, guys, verse 5. You walk according to the, excuse me, you do not walk according to the tradition of elders. The tradition of man trumped the Bible. That's the way they looked at it. Guys, there are still mainline churches and denominations today that will say that the traditions of man will trump the Bible. It's still around. The Jews have these sayings. Listen to this one. If the scribes say our right hand is our left, and our left hand is our right, we are to believe them. Think about that for a second. That's how high they esteem the tradition of elders. So if they come and say your right hand is your left, and your left hand is your right, you're supposed to believe them. They also say this. There is more in the words of the scribes than the words of the law. So you're supposed to trust the words of man more than the words of the law. And if you sin with eating with unwashed hands, that's the same as lying with a harlot. And the mind of the Jews eating with unwashed hands is the same as sleeping with a prostitute. A really strict Jew would do this not only before the meal, washing their hands, but between each course of the meal. Can you imagine that? So you get this one part of the meal, wash your hands. Get your other part of the meal, wash your hands. And the rabbis were deadly serious about this. They had said that bread eaten with one washed hands was no better than excrement. One rabbi who had once failed to perform the ritual hand washing was excommunicated. Another one was imprisoned by the Romans. And he used his ration of water for washing instead of drinking, nearly dying of thirst. He was so concerned about his hands being clean that instead of using the water to drink, he used it to wash his hands properly. And the Jews looked at him as a hero for the sacrifice. This is the problem, folks. They were taking the words of man and they were elevating it. And so these scribes are coming and they're saying exactly in verse 5, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? Once again, folks, you may think we're past this, but we're not. 
Some of you may have come out of a church, a denomination, where the tradition of the elders trumped God's word. Where their book of catechism was bigger than the Bible. You've got to be careful about that. You've got to be so, so careful. Stick to the word of God and the word of God alone. Take a look at verse 6. He answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. All, and he said to them, all too well, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. Man, Jesus said, you guys care more about your rules and your regulations and your traditions than you do about God's word. Listen, if you can't back it up scripturally, why are you doing it? If you can't back it up in the Bible, why are we doing it? Let's just really stick to what the Bible has to say. But I want to now, I, I want to finish with this. And when I was preparing this message, I didn't know how far we would get tonight. I, I knew the first part of it was pretty straightforward. But when I got to verse 6, I just stopped right there. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me. I don't tell you guys this to, to say something about me. I'm going to tell you just what happened. I was preparing this message, and I got to this verse. This verse really just hit me. I, I wrote down some verses I wanted to share on, and what I thought to do is I just really need to stop and pray. And I just went, and I just got alone at the feet of Jesus and just really prayed over verse 6 because I thought, Lord, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to honor you with my lips, but my heart is not yours. And I tell you, I, I've been teaching for 23 years. I see this all the time. People honor God with their lips, but their heart's not there. They're Christian in name only. They're a false convert. That is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. Jesus said you're a hypocrite. Now, just, just once again, rewind the clock 2,000 years ago. Pharisees from Jerusalem show up. These are a bunch of hick fishermen. And all of a sudden, they see bigwigs from Jerusalem, from the temple itself, coming and talking to Jesus. And I'm sure, because we know from the gospel accounts, they dressed a certain way, they looked a certain way, they acted a certain way. The crowds would probably part from them. I have seen mainline churches when they're in all their garb. And their bright colors and long flowing robes and crosses that are huge. And you see them just screaming religion. And some people just fall for that. These guys come up and say, you're not following the rules. Oh man, what's Jesus going to do? You know what Jesus is going to do? He's going to call them a hypocrite. Call them hypocrites. They just got done calling us hypocrites. Jesus says, but listen, verse 6, you honor me with your lips, but your heart's far from me. Okay, guys, I got a lot of verses. Just follow along with me, please. Let's go to Matthew 7 first. I want to take you through how my mind works. This could be a dangerous thing, but let's just do this. I want all of us here tonight to be honest. All of us here tonight to be honest. And this is why. What good does it do to come out on a Wednesday, sit here, listen, mark verses, underline verses, memorize them, pray, whatever, and, and think you're right, and then you die and you go to hell? I don't understand that. 
So I want all of us tonight to stop and honestly ask ourselves very straightforwardly, very lovingly, Lord, am I a hypocrite? Am I honoring you with my lips, but my heart is far from you? How is this possible? Matthew seven fifteen. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You can't tell on the outside. This is an inward thing. I think it was Charles Spurgeon that said this. A broken clock tells the right time two times a day. Verse 16. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Okay, so now let's start looking at the fruit that's in our lives. Verse 17. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Simply ask yourself, am I producing good fruit or am I producing bad fruit? 18. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruit you will know them. That's pretty straightforward. Are you producing fruit for Christ, and is that fruit good? If the fruit's bad, you're cut. 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. I have a brother in the Lord that tells him that that verse, when he got saved, and he really started studying the Bible, and he got to verse 21, it just scared him. Because he realized that before he got saved, he used to say, Lord, Lord. And he wasn't saved. See, this is the thing. We have now watered down Christianity to this. Believe that God loves you. Believe Jesus died for you. And you get to go to heaven and just come to church. And try not to cuss so much. Amen, you're in. Boy, I don't see that. We just did the devotions at home tonight with the boys. And in Luke 9, we're reading what Jesus said it means to be a disciple. To truly follow him. I am not teaching a works-based salvation. I am a huge grace guy. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's a gift of God. And I'm a firm believer that when Jesus on the cross said, it is finished, he did it all for me. But the only result of that is that my life should be changed. It's not meaning my work saved me. It means since I'm saved, my work's changed. That's why James wrote in James 2, faith without works is dead. So if I'm in verse 21 saying, Lord, Lord, Jesus said, are you doing my will? 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. If you think 22 is extreme, extreme, excuse me, don't you think Judas, on his little mini missions trips, cast out some demons probably and did some stuff in the name of Christ? I assume he did because the disciples came back talking about it. The Bible doesn't say anything that Judas did not. See, I heard a teaching one time it was by Francis Chan that he was talking about 22 and 23. He was talking about this example. You may have heard him use this example before, saying telling his daughter to go clean her room. And so he said, will you go clean your room? She says, yes, I'll go clean my room. So she disappears for hours. He goes in and checks, and he, her room's not clean. Nothing's been done. And he says, I asked you to clean your room. She goes, oh, I know. And she goes through this whole long list. She goes, I memorized exactly what you said. I wrote it out. I made a bumper sticker that said, clean your room. I'm wearing a shirt now that says, clean your room. I'm getting my friends together, and we're going to have a study on all your words that say, clean your room. 
I'm even going to translate clean your room back to the original Greek so I can really understand what clean your room means. And I'm going to get a little tattoo on my arm that says clean your room. The whole point is, how about you just go clean your room? How often do we do that as believers? Oh, God, I love what you said right here. I, I have highlighted it. I have marked it. I have memorized it. I have underlined it. But I just haven't lived it. Jesus is saying, I want your heart. I want your heart. Paul, writing in 2 Corinthians, says this. Reading out the New Living Translation. Examine yourself to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. He says, examine yourself. Test yourself to see if Jesus Christ really is in you. Because God wants our heart, not rules and regulations. Go with me now to the book of Amos, please. Amos. Amos chapter 5. If you're looking for a meaty study, Amos is a great book. If you're not looking for a meaty study, I'll sum up Amos really quick for you. The Jews were doing everything right, but their heart wasn't God's. Animals were being killed left and right. People were fasting left and right. There was religious celebrations going on left and right. But they didn't have the heart for the Lord. So in Amos chapter 5... God sums it up like this. Verse 21. I hate, I despise your feast days. And I do not savor your your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. Nor will I regard your fat and peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. But let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. New Living Translation says it like this. I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice. And listen to this. And an endless river of righteous living. Because that's what I want. I want your heart. I don't need more dead animals. I don't need more singing. I don't need more fasting. I don't need more offerings. I just simply want your heart. Go with me now to Mark chapter 12, please. Here's the issue. He's making it so easy for us, but we want to make it a little more difficult. Do you not realize how much, as a human being, we like works-based? We do. We like works-based because what happens with works-based is this. Mark 12, we're going to start in 28. With works-based, there's, there's a little bit of a pattern set. I mean, just, just let your mind go for a second. Let go of all theology. And just think about works-based. You have a job you really want. I mean, you really want this job. You've thought it through. You've made your pros list. You've made your cons list. This is the perfect job for you. The vacation, the money, the hours. It's everything you've ever wanted. Maybe it's not a job. Maybe it's the perfect house. Maybe it's the perfect girl. Maybe it's the perfect guy. It's whatever you want. And your relationship with God is based on works. Okay. So, I make God happy. I get what I want. See, we like this. 
I'll fast for a few days. I'll read. I'll pray. I'll take a shift back in the nursery. I'll give more money. And I'll do works, 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 works. God will then show favor on me. And I get what I want. Guys, welcome to cults. Mormonism. Jehovah Witness. Muslims. Works-based. That's how it works. I do good. God honors that. We come into Christianity and we have the most amazing thing in the world. God just loves you. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you more and there's nothing you can do to make him love you less. And he wants to take away all your sins. And he wants to give you mercy and grace and open up the doors to heaven. And you don't have to do anything to earn it or deserve it in any way whatsoever. But we as a human nature stop and say, I kind of like works. This is why when you're in Sunday school, you have little sticker charts. You memorize your verse, you get a sticker. You came to Sunday school, you get a sticker. And we look and our sticker charts build up. Sometimes I think we should do that for adults. You guys show up, I give you a sticker. Hey, you've made it three Wednesdays in a row. At four, you get a candy bar. And if you bring a friend, you get a can of pop. I mean, this is what we do. It's works-based. And sometimes we also like works-based when it comes to sin. If I do wrong... You're, you're telling me if I just confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me all my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Yep. But I want to feel bad. I want penance. I want to beat myself with something for a while so I feel bad about it. I want to be punished so I feel bad. Because I like that idea of I screwed up and I sinned and now here's my punishment. I can go on. We, we desire this workspace where God is constantly saying, I just want your heart. Take a look here at Mark 12, 28. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Lord, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. The second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandments greater than these. We joked, I think it was on Sunday, how I love the simplicity of God. There is one way to get to heaven, Jesus Christ. One way. It's a one-way street. You can't go the wrong way in a one-way street. I love it that he just summed up Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy for me. Love God, love others. Oh, wow, Lord, thank you for making that simple. 32. So the scribe said to him, well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth, for there is one God and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart with all the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. See, that's what we just read in Amos. God says, I want your heart. I don't need more blood. I don't need more praise and worship songs. I want your heart. David in Psalm 40 said this, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have hope opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you do not require. Then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book it is written to me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. So if he wants my heart, and he doesn't want 35 pages on how to wash a pot, and he doesn't want more dead animals, and he doesn't need more praise and worship, he just wants my heart, because once he has my heart, guess what, he'll get everything else. Shouldn't I just go back to verse 30 and say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and, that, and that's what I did this afternoon. Is I just stopped and I said, Lord, what does that look like? Because that's what you told me to do. 
I'm just going to tell you what the Lord laid on my heart. What's it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart? Heart, my desires. What do I desire? What do I want? Do I really want Him? And I was just praying about that this afternoon. I realized how much I don't want Him. I don't. I want what I want. I, and I made the whole list. This is, this is what I want. This is what I desire. Wow, Lord, let me to love you with all my heart. That, that you are truly the only thing I desire. Next one. With all your soul. With an eternalness. Dying to this world. My soul, my soul that's going to live on forever. Can I, can I love you with this idea of eternity? With all my mind, my mind, what I think about, what I plan, what I want to do. Have you ever done that? They're sitting there having this amazing time of prayer and in the Word. And next thing you know, your mind's just, where did it go? Just nowhere. Oh, Lord, grab my mind. Bring it back to you. And then lastly, with all my strength, what I actually physically do. Dawn may not like me quoting her on this, but my wife is very deep, very profound, and she sometimes has these nuggets of spiritual truth. Years ago, I was doing ministry with an individual that was physically not in good shape in any way whatsoever. And was going over and doing a lot of uh, just ministry, trying to encourage. The end was coming. And was not going to get better. And so this person was praying, praying for this this miraculous healing. And this person told me of everything they were going to do when they got miraculously healed. And everything was going to be for the Lord. And they had a whole list of everything they were going to do with their strength once God healed them. And I came home and I told Dawn. And Dawn said this, and she wasn't being mean. She said, was the person doing this stuff before they got sick? And I said, no. She goes, then what makes us think they're going to do this after they get better? If you have strength right now, and you're not using it for the Lord, when you become physically sick, and you're asking Him to heal you so you can serve Him more, I sometimes wonder if God says, you did have strength and you chose not to use it for me. I'm telling you right now, as far as I could tell, all of you came in here tonight, physically able. I don't see anybody brought in in a stretcher. Now, you may not have great health. You may not have great knees. You may not have great eyesight. You may not have great this. You may not have great that. But you got something. And are you loving the Lord your God with all your strength? Make sure you understand in no way whatsoever am I preaching any type of works-based religion. I'm looking at what Jesus said right here, and he says in verse 30, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Two more verses and we're done. Deuteronomy 6, please. Deuteronomy 6. What does this look like practically? Careful of legalism, folks. Careful of hearing a teaching like this and saying, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Everything, everything. And you're just going to throw, amen. But you're not doing it to earn more favor with God. You're not doing it to earn salvation. You're not doing it to earn the gates of heaven to be open to you. You're doing it because of what he's already done for you. There's a huge difference there. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. 
This is what we just read in Mark 12. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Ask yourself that. Is God's word in your heart? Not marked, not underlined, not up on your wall, not on a bumper sticker, not on a shirt you wear. Is it, is it really in your heart that drives you? Well, what does it mean to drive you? Look at 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. You shall, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now, the Jews took this legalistically, and that's what they did. But what God is trying to tell us right here is, verse 7, it's everything to you. Yeah, I mean, I, I could make small talk about the weather with another believer, but why? Man, tell me what you read in devotions today. I want to hear it. Sure, we could talk about sports. It's not sinful. But what's God doing in your life? You can tell me how bad your day at work is. We could, yeah. Or tell me how good your time in the Word was this morning. Let's just talk about them. Let's talk about when we drive places, walk places, whatever, lie down, raise up. This is one of the things I missed. You know, Richard and I used to spend a lot of time in a car together going to and from hospital visits and just ministry and just talking about the Lord. Some of my favorite things with Dawn, you know, Dawn and I actually was a year ago today. We got back from Mexico and we spent five days there, five days back in a van. And I tell you, of our 20, almost 23 years of marriage, I think it was the most fun I've ever had with her. We just talked. We just talked. And and we just talked about the Lord and ministry and excitement and this and that. I love it. And you look at 8 and 9. Man, cover yourself in Scripture, not legalistically. I'm working on John, on John 15. I've shared this with you before. And I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to really grasp John 15. I'm mem- trying to memorize the whole chapter there. So I got this sheet that I printed off. And the reason I like John 15 is because the words of Christ in red. And so when I printed it off, I printed it off in black and white. And it really bothered me. So I printed it off in red. <laughs> don't ask me why. Because, you know, Jesus, obviously when Jesus talks, it's red. I don't know why. It just is. And I used to say, as far as I know, that's the only chapter in the Bible. And someone corrected me and said, no, I think Matthew chapter 6 is all red too. And, and I went and looked and they're right. But I carry this sheet with me at home. And I, I just got it with me. And I'm just like, and it's not a legalistic have to. It's just, I got time. Well, why not? Why not just, just do what it says right here? And it's just so joyful. And it's a difficult teaching because the problem is it can come across as trying to sound ultra-spiritual, and that's not my goal, and if it is, I'm sorry, guys. And it can also come across as legalistically, and that's not my goal either, guys. It's not. My goal is just to say, God has given me breath in my lungs. Let's just use it for Him. Last verse, and we're done. Psalm 19, please. Psalm 19. I like Psalm 19. Got one verse here to talk about. Psalm 19, look at verse 14. Good memory verse. That the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Boy, I, I could spend hours on this verse, and I won't. I will spend like 
90 seconds. The words of my mouth, outward. Okay, we're talking outward here. What I say, what I talk about, what I do. Not, not a have to, not forcing Jesus in the conversation, but, but just if given an opportunity, let's talk about what the Lord's doing. Let the words of my mouth. Next one, the meditation of my heart, my inward thinking. I just want to think about you. I want to love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Be acceptable in your sight, not acceptable in my sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. That's what he is. He's my strength. He's my rock. He's my redeemer. Redeemer means he has purchased me. He has bought me. Paul goes on and says in 1 Corinthians 6, that do you not know that you were purchased, you were bought at a price? You are not your own. I am owned by God, and if I'm owned by God, I want to live for God. And this is what I'm telling you, and let me repeat this one more time, guys. Don't spend 35 pages on how to wash your hands. Just love Him. Love Him in joy. And when you love Him in joy, it is infectious and contagious, and you just say, golly, I love Him. I just, let's just talk about Him. I just want to encourage you to do that. So I want to do with is this tonight. Um, I want to end with prayer. And I just want us to come up here and I just want us to pray. Anybody that wants to come up here and pray, you can. Just to love the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And, and, and it doesn't have to be a tell us what's going on type of thing. You know, if you haven't come to any of the Monday night prayer times, we just pray. Just come up. We'll circle up. Whatever the Lord lays on your heart, you pray and we'll agree with you in prayer. We don't need to know details. Number two, if there's silence, it's okay. Because Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I am God. So if you guys would stand with me, we'll have a time of corporate prayer here, and some of you got to go grab kids. Some of you got to get going, got to get home, get to work, what have you. If you have on your heart and you just want prayer to love the Lord to God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you're going to come up here afterwards, and we're just going to pray for each other. Lord, what a simple focus you've given us tonight, to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. What does that look like for us as individuals? What does that look like to put you first in all ways and all things and what we say and what we do and what we think and what we believe and how we act? Lord, help us to do that. Help us just to love you because you first loved us. Thank you for being our redeemer that saves us from sin. In the name of Jesus, in your name, amen. You guys have a good week. God bless. We'll see you next week. If anybody wants to pray, come on up here.